Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found on our app for both Apple and Android phones. Search Grace 417 in your app store and follow along. And now, for our message. So we are working through the book of Ruth, a series on, on Ruth, and uh, we're finishing up, we've basically finished up chapter one of the book of Ruth. A couple of things about chapter one. First of all, the first five verses in Ruth, chapter one, are all about the losses. Naomi loses her husband, Elimelech, then she loses her two sons, and she's left after verse five, she's left with just her and her two daughters-in-law. Those daughters-in-law are Orpah and Ruth. And the rest of that chapter is basically Naomi trying to push those girls to go back to their families, back to their their homelands, back to the the places that they're from inside of the country of Moab because she, Naomi, is going to go back to Israel where she is from. Of course, last week we talked about how Orpah eventually did go back, but Ruth clung to Naomi. And she said in that beautiful passage of Scripture, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to stay where you stay. Where you die, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried there. She, she not only connected with Naomi, she also connected with Naomi's God. And so just a couple of reminders. First of all is this, that, that loss is a universal thing. The first five verses of Ruth could be anyone's story. Everybody has Loss. Everybody experiences difficulty. I said, uh, said recently, you're either, you're either in the midst of losing something or you're going to be losing something. It's just the way that life is on this broken planet. We've all experienced pain and disappointment. What matters isn't that we have these things happen to us. What matters is what we do with them. And that's why Ruth is such a beautiful example. Because she doesn't allow the difficulty and the pain of her life to keep her from trusting God. Secondly is this, that Ruth's life in in chapter 1 is characterized by her faith and her faithfulness. Ruth believes, but she also puts action to her belief. She is obedient in her belief. And those two things, faith and faithfulness, we must always cling to those. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, never let go of faith and faithfulness? Very good. Usually I have to like spur you on to do that. I really appreciate you doing that. That was really good. We can never relax our hold on faith and faithfulness. So we're going to get in this morning to just the the last verse of chapter one, and we're going to go through the first seven verses of chapter two. Now, before we start the reading, I want to say this. Um, We've not really talked about Moab much. Uh, Moab is the country where Naomi and her husband go. Of course, that's where her husband passes away. It's the country where Ruth and Orpah are from. The Moabites are geographically fairly close to Israel, and they are distantly related to the Israelites, but they are not close friends. They are not buddies. Matter of fact, the Israelites would see the Moabites as their enemies. Now, if you want to do something really um, uncomfortable and icky this afternoon, read Genesis chapter 19, and you can find out about why the Moabites and, the, and their, their brother tribe, the Ammonites, were not Israel's best friend. These two tribes come out of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters, 
It's just not one of the things that you, you know, I always tell you, underline stuff in your Bible. Don't underline that, okay? It's just really, yeah. That's where the Moabites come from, though. That's That's the heritage. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, that's Israel. Abraham has a son, uh, sorry, a nephew named Lot, and Lot and his daughters. That's where the Ammonites and the Moabites come from. So they looked at them, and they were kind of like, ugh. They, they did not enjoy or have close, warm feelings about the Moabites. The reason I'm saying that is this. We need to be reminded regularly that God is not looking at our heritage, our ancestry, and judging our usefulness to him based on what those folks did. It's one of the most beautiful things about being a Christ follower, that he comes to us and he looks at us and says, I'll use you right where you are. It doesn't matter who your dad is. It doesn't matter who your grandpa is. It doesn't matter what happened back in your family line. Just like with Ruth, Ruth is used by God for his incredible glory. He not, she not only benefits this, the circumstances in this book that we're reading, you and I are beneficiaries of Ruth's faith and faithfulness even to this day, despite the fact that she was part of Moab. So would you write this down? If you're taking notes this morning in your grace guide or on your app, write this down. A broken family tree. Anybody have a broken family tree? No? Let's try that again. Let's be honest. Anybody had a broken family tree? You ever learned something about someone in your family? You're like, wow. Yeah. Okay. A broken family tree does not disqualify anyone from being blessed by God. What matters is our faith and our willingness to be faithful, not the broken things that our ancestors have done. So at the, at, the, um, at the end of Ruth, chapter 1, Naomi and Ruth have returned to Israel. They've returned to Bethlehem. And, of course, there's that buzz, like, hey, guess who's back in town? We don't know how long it's been, at least 10 years. Could have been longer than that, 15 years, 20 years. Who knows? Naomi has, has left. She left with a husband she came, and two sons. She came back with just one daughter-in-law. So there's, like a, there's a stirring, and that's the part of the, of the story where Naomi gets a little dramatic. You know, don't call me Naomi anymore. Instead, call me Mara, because Naomi means close, pleasant, sweet, yeah. And Mara, Mara means bitter. So they call me Mara because the Lord has been, kind of like what Scott just said, the Lord's been against me, even though that was not true. That's what she felt. And so they come back into town and everybody sees what's going on. Pick up with me the, the narrative at chapter, I'm sorry, chapter one, verse 22. Let me read it to you. This is out of the ESV. It says, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who, the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. 
At the beginning of chapter 2, the author of Ruth, which we think is Samuel, writes this little clarifying comment. He says basically that Naomi had a relative, and this relative, I'm sorry, her husband, Elimelech, had a relative, and this relative's name was Boaz. But at that point in the narrative, we've not met Boaz, and Ruth has not yet met Boaz. It's important for you to understand that she, she goes out to glean not knowing who Boaz is or where Boaz's property is. Now, she is also going out to glean. You probably know this, but let me just say it really quick. Quickly. Gleaning was just the process of going behind the reapers and picking up whatever was left over. Leviticus chapter 19 made a provision for the poor in Israel that, that, the, that those who had means and those who had lands were supposed to leave the corners and the edges of their property unharvested so that the poor and those without means could come and they could feed themselves based on what was left in the field. And that's exactly what Ruth is doing. She's poor. She doesn't have any means to be able to provide for herself. So she's out there working the edges Following the reapers, you know, the other thing the Old Testament says is if one of the, you know, some, some part of the bundle fell out onto the ground, you weren't supposed to go back around and pick it up again. Instead, you were supposed to leave that for those who would come after you who might be poor and, in des- and, and have uh, a need, would be a destitute. So that's what Ruth is doing. She's out there picking stuff up. And, of course, we see the rest of the story as it unfolds. I wanted to see something this morning. Look at verse 22 with me again. Chapter 1, verse 22 says this. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Would you say, at the beginning with me? At the beginning. So they they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Jump down to verse 3. This is after uh, Naomi and Ruth have their exchange. Ruth says, I'm going to go out and, and reap. I'm sorry, and glean. And so this says in verse 3, so she set out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened, say the word happened. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now it would be easy when you're reading a story like this, oh, that's interesting. I mean, they, they ended up back in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay, whatever. And she just happened to go out and she happened to be in the right place at the right time that she was, she was actually working in the field belonging to her dead father-in-law's relative, Elimelech's relative, Boaz. It just was a coincidence. It was one of those chance happenings. But I want to remind you this morning of this, that they, when, when one's life Your life, my life, Ruth's life, when one's life is in the hand of the Lord, there really are no such things as coincidences. There are no such things as coincidences. Write this down if you would. When a person chooses to live by faith and walk in faithfulness, coincidences aren't coincidences. They're not. God has his hand in everything. And I, I understand that we live in a very broken world. My goodness alarming, disturbing, the the things that happen around us constantly make it feel like we are in utter chaos and everything is just randomly happening. And the truth of the matter is this, that God is in control and that he is sovereign over all. And we need to remind ourselves of that regularly, that God is on his throne and he does not do coincidences. Instead, he is working everything for for his own purposes, especially in the lives of those who are his children. So that nothing that occurs in this story, nothing that occurs here is random. Everything that takes place in Ruth's life is on purpose. She's not just happening to show up when they're getting ready to harvest barley. She's not just coincidentally out working in the field and, oh, what a surprise. It belongs to Boaz, Elimelech's relative. All of this was by design. It was all by God's design. And one of the most glorious realities for us who are following Christ Jesus 
is knowing that our lives are not left to fate or chance. We are not people who are relying on fate or chance. We are leaning into the Lord who works all things according to his good pleasure. Our God is a God of details. The hand of the Almighty is constantly moving things around into position. I like to think of it this way. Have you ever played a game with a little kid, like a little kid, not a, not a teenager kid, like a little child, and you really, really, really want them to win, and they're terrible at the game? You know, you know like the little... Um, Golly, I can't even think of the brand name, but you know, like the little plastic rings that are different colors and they go from being this size to being this size and they have to go on the little, the little post thing in the right order. You know, kids are just so dumb, you know, little <laughs> two-year-olds, they're just like trying to shove the thing down in whatever order, you know, and you're like, no, no, not the purple one, it's time for the green one, you know, until they finally, and then at the end, they finally get these five rings after three hours of work in the right order, and you're like, yeah, you did it, good job. That's how God is. <laughs> Except he's the adult and we're the two-year-old. You know, we're just like, no, it's green now. He's like, no, little buddy, and he's pulling it out of our hands and giving us the right thing. He's always working in our lives, not coincidentally, but purposefully to have things work out for his glory and for our benefit even when it doesn't feel like it. I'm sure at the time, Ruth wasn't saying, oh, it's, you know, she wasn't putting all these pieces together, but in hindsight, and we have the benefit of seeing the whole story, we know God was working. The right time that Naomi got the word to go back to Israel, they showed up at the beginning of the barley harvest. She doesn't even know who Boaz is, but she's going out and she's working. Ah, surprise, she ends up in his field. God is in every one of the details. He's working in them and he's working all of them out in our lives. Ruth is a special lady. Amen? Let's try that again. Ruth is a special lady. Amen? And so are you. You are a special person. God is just as interested in blessing you and favoring you and and pouring his goodness out in your life as he was in Ruth's. So in the midst of these non-coincidental things, this move to Bethlehem and the the work that that, uh, Ruth is out doing in the field... Naomi and Ruth have really one primary need when they first get back to Israel, first get back to Bethlehem, and that is they need food. Yeah, they need, they need to have a way. Remember, they're kind of like homeless. There's no man in the picture, so there's no provider. And so Ruth has to go out and do this work herself. She has to go out and try to make things happen. They have a priority to get provisions for their household. And Ruth does what Ruth can do. She goes and finds some work, and the work that she can find is gleaning in the field. So that's what Ruth does. She goes out and she does the work that is in front of her. She attends to the opportunities that are before her. She doesn't sit around in the tent or the house. We don't know what they were living in, but let's just say it's a little house, a little one-room space. She and Naomi don't just sit together in the house and pray that God will put some provision on the front porch so that they could eat. Now, can God do a miracle like that? Absolutely. Read the rest of the Old Testament. He does miracles like that, you know. You know, Elijah takes a, takes a nap by uh, a little brook and he wakes up and there's dinner. I mean, God can make dinner happen like that. Sorry to mention dinner when you're getting close to lunch. But you know what I'm saying? God can make that happen. He can just do that. But in this case, they're not sitting there just praying. Ruth and Naomi, oh, I wish God would provide for us. Ruth just goes out and she just gets busy. She just starts doing the thing that she can do in the place that she is. She begins to attend to the opportunities that are before her. And at this point in, this, in the story, the only opportunity is for her to go out and to glean grain. And while she's working, though, 
This is the non-coincidental part. While she's working, it's not only Boaz's field, Boaz just happens to show up. And he happens to look out and see this, this gal out there, and he says to his, his like, supervisor, whose young woman is that? Like, I don't recognize her. And, of course, he hears the story about who that lady is and that she's a hard worker. I love that little detail. Like, it says she's been working all morning and she took one little break and then she went right back at it. You know, she's been out there doing what she was doing. But the thing is, if she sits back in the tent or sits back in the house and waits for God to, to just magically produce this meal, she never gets seen by Boaz. She has to be out there doing this work so that she can be seen by the one that will ultimately become her husband. We know that according to Ruth chapter 2 verse 11, we know that Boaz already had heard about Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. Her good name went before her. But here's the thing. If she's not out there working in the field, if she's not out there doing, you know, just kind of keeping busy in a healthy and, and productive way, in a helpful way, she doesn't make that connection with Boaz. They don't have the conversation that comes next in the text. But Ruth was working. And her loyalty the loyalty that Boaz had heard about, he now sees with his eyes. Think about that. I'd heard about this girl, how she was so good to Naomi, and she came back from Moab to Bethlehem. And then I look up, and there she is, and she's again being a servant and helping and taking care of her mother-in-law. Ruth's present actions matched her reputation. Ruth's present behavior reinforced what he had already heard about her. And she didn't do anything remarkable or attention-seeking. She just did what needed to be done. Turn to the person next to you and say, Ruth just did what needed to be done. She did what needed to be done. And that's what we're supposed to do too. We can be tempted to sit around and wait for the lightning strike of God's blessing to come, but there's, there's something so important about staying appropriately occupied Why? We wait for God while we wait for God. Here's the thing. God's timing seems perfect when you're not watching the clock. When you're busy doing the things in front of you to be helpful to others, to bless others, when you're just occupied with the mundane but the, the opportunities to serve that are right before you, his timing seems perfect. When you sit at home and look, watch the clock, his timing seems awful. Has anybody ever experienced this? When is God going to move? I would encourage you not to watch the clock if you're waiting for him to move. Instead, I would encourage you to get busy, like Ruth did, to be appropriately occupied. There's always something helpful to be done. Amen? There's always something that we can do, even as we're trusting God to move in our circumstances. Write this down, if you would. When we have right motives, attending to what's before us right now positions us for God's plan later. I think God is attracted to diligence and focus. He's not attracted to apathy and sloth. And just to reinforce this, the right motives are really the key here. It's not Ruth out in the field saying, I sure do wish somebody would notice me. I was telling first service, I had a job when I worked at the church years and years ago, another church, another state, and I... Um, I was just on staff. I wasn't a part of the pastoral team or anything. I was just, I was, frankly, I was a janitor. And I, um, I was supposed to be working on cleaning the floors in the children's area. It was this old tile floors. They were kind of grubby. And I was there cleaning, and I knew that the pastor was going to be coming by later. So when I was working, you know, doing my 
pretty good job. All of a sudden, when I heard his car pull up outside, you should have seen the intensity overtake me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so then he walks in. Oh, pastor, I didn't know you were coming. You know, I was just like, look at me, affirm me, tell me I'm doing a good job. That is not what Ruth was doing. Oh, I wish, I am so tired. I wish Boaz would, Boaz would see me. That's not what's going on here. This is a lady who's just taking care of business, just staying occupied, just I'm gonna be busy doing something fruitful until God moves in my situation, which is what he calls us to do as well. You ever dream about the future? Raise your hand if you ever dream about the future. Good. I want you to still have dreams. We all need to have dreams. That's a good and godly thing. If we're dreaming about a blessed future, a future of impact, a future of influence over others, even generations, that is a good and godly desire. God wants to give us a blessed and favored future. That is part of what his plan is for your life. God's not just tolerating each of us. He really wants something rich and good and, and fruitful for us. But the path to getting to that future so very often, almost entirely, comes back to us living in faith and walking out faithfulness. Living in faithfulness means literally just doing the thing that's in front of us to do. Faithfulness is not being loyal to the Lord on the big things. It's being faithful to him in every little thing every single day. In Ruth's case, it was working for food so that she could provide for her mother-in-law. But the thing that she didn't realize at the moment that we can see because we see the whole story is that her faithfulness in that thing positioned her for the next thing that God had planned. And we're going to see that next week. So while you're waiting, what can you do? Where can you find yourself busy? Where can you serve? What part of your life can you give away? What we do now is positioning us for what God wants to do later. So don't say this. I sure do wish God would do something amazing in my life and then sit. Instead say, I really want God to do something amazing in my life. But until he does, I'm going to be found faithfully doing something to help someone else somewhere. Your actions, our actions right now are positioning us for that. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you. I don't want this to sound corrective, but it might. Um, so I apologize in advance. I'm not trying to be ch uh, chastising, but I just want you to think about this for a second. This idea of being fruitfully occupied, busy, helpful to, some, to someone around you, to someone in your family, someone in our community, someone at the church, whatever. There's a spirit that loves to whisper in our ears, and this is what he says. Oh, you already did your time with that. You don't need to do that anymore. You, we, we see it in Grace Kids a lot. Not that this is a promotion for Grace Kids, but we see it in Grace Kids. I've had people say, oh, I did my time. <laughs> I just want to remind you, that is not a biblical or spirit-led statement. We don't get the permission to say, I'm done with investing in others and staying busy. Every one of us is called to be doing something helpful to bless and move forward the kingdom all the time. It doesn't have to be everything. It just needs to be something. So don't give yourself permission to think, well, you know, Ruth was busy in the field. I'm going to take the Naomi track. Go ahead and go, Ruth. That's fine. I'll stay here and I'll keep the house from blowing away. You know, whatever. She, no, I don't know what Naomi's deal was, but she didn't do anything. She just kind of sat around and coached, coached Ruth. 
We don't want to be Naomi in that sense. We want to be like Ruth. What can I be doing to be helpful while I'm waiting for God to move on my behalf? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this amazing lady, Ruth, and her story. Father, may we find ourselves imitating her, trusting that while we don't see what you're doing and while we can't see what you're seeing, that you're totally and completely involved in our circumstances. You are really intimately aware of all that's happening. Father, may we, may we not think that anything is coincidental and may we not be just working and serving to show, but rather may we from our hearts just want to be a blessing to others while we wait for our blessing to come. We recognize that you are positioning us for good. We, we accept that until that favor, until that miracle, until that blessing manifests in our lives. May we be found faithful, making it easier for someone else, caring for someone else, providing for someone else, praying for someone else, standing with someone else until our time comes. We pray this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Amen. Would you extend your hands before you? I want to bless you in the name of the Lord before you leave this place. Grace Church family, friends, visitors, folks online, may the Lord bind up your broken heart. May the Lord give you freedom from captivity. May he release you from darkness. Friends, may, may he comfort you, giving you a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Friends, family, may you be called an oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. May you be blessed, my friends, in Jesus' name, amen. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you'd like more information about giving your life to Jesus, email us at info at grace417.com. That's I-N-F-O at grace417.com. We pray you have a blessed day.